everyone. I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. And this is the journey to transformation. Are you ready? It might sting. <laughs> I'm excited. It's our first podcast. I'm very excited. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Well, I say this is our first podcast. This is our first good podcast. We did two others and the quality was quite poor, wasn't it? That is true. We have since advanced. Yes. I think. Yes. As the listeners can tell with their ears and the viewers, perhaps with their eyes. That's been an upgrade. <laughs> and maybe what you'll notice if you're watching this is we're in a van. We are in a van. We're in my van. Tia's lovely van. Why are we in the van? Because the van just seems like such a fun place to do a podcast. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of a podcast in a van before. There will definitely be oh, a podcast. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> but I haven't heard of it. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> I don't think maybe we've done a podcast. I don't think we've we've heard of a podcast that's on our topic in a van. Maybe that's a better way of yeah, describing it. Very true. <laughs> Speaking of what is our topic? Um, so today we're talking about what is transformation. We thought that might be a good place to start, given that the title of this podcast is Journey to Transformation. <laughs> and so should we dive in or do we have anything else we want to chit chat about? Um no, I think we should dive in. Okay. But but maybe we could give it a little precursor. Okay. Um, in that, you know, by the end of this podcast, we're probably not going to tell you what transformation is. Oh. <laughs> we're probably not going to give you a concrete definition, but rather just unpack what transformation means to different people, different workplaces, um, really kind of get into and why it's difficult. Right? Right. I like the disclaimer. <laughs> I mean, I just want to set expectations from the beginning. I don't want people to start listening and think we're going to have a definition of transformation. We're going to know what it means. And then we're going to be able to take that forward into life, you know? Yeah. I think maybe should we start first by describing why we are even able to talk about transformation? Yeah, I mean, that seems like a good place to start. I mean, we're both women in the world, so I probably we feel we always have to like say what our qualifications are to have opinions and thoughts. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's true. (laughs) Okay. So Tia, why are you able to talk about transformation? For me, I've been doing this work and working around program effectiveness and quality and um, adaptive programming, which is just a bunch of nonprofit jargon, really. And I think probably my main qualification is the fact that people, for some reason, pay us lots of money to help them understand how to transform. (laughs) So, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're getting it for free, really. (laughs) Bonus. (laughs) And you? I mean, am I qualified from his perspective? Am I qualified? (laughs) Okay, right. Yeah, I love it. Um, But, you know, perhaps building on a little bit on what you're saying, you know, I've been working not-for-profit as well for a number of years, eight years or so. And maybe I'm coming at this more from the data perspective. I mean, we all use data in different organizations. We all need it. We all process it. We all analyze it and hopefully use it to do better. But, you know, in that process, um, there's a lot of transformation that's needed in terms of how we look at data, um, who's looking at it, what assumptions we embed in the kind of data we use. So I think for me, there's a lot of unpacking how organizations transform with and from data. 
And that is a significant part of how any organization is run and any department. Or indeed, if they do. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Have you collected any data today? <laughs> we are not the data police, don't worry. <laughs> oh, you're a little bit the data police. That's good. Cool. All right. Should we get into it? Yes, absolutely. I'm certain that that transition is too long. <laughs> I'm mean, <it's> too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I like it. So, sorry, you were going to say? No, I was just going to say it's a pause on us talking. Great. <laughs> Although in fairness, this is a medium that encourages quite a bit of talking. <laughs> that too. <laughs> okay. What's transformation? Tell me. Tell me everything. Gosh, are we starting really big then? Well, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a journey. Yeah, well, maybe we should start there and that like, you know, we have phrased this in a journey too, because, you know, transformation is sometimes seen as this outcome, this end goal. We need to transform into something or change something about ourselves or an organization. But actually, a lot of the transforming goes on <laughs> when we are in the journey itself, you know, and it might not be as visible, in fact, Um when I think of transformation, I think is, I think of it as sort of moving from one state to another. And I think that it can be a bit challenging for organizations, particularly in the sector that we work in, which is not for profits. Um, I think it can be hard when you've got an institutional machine that's been built on layers of thought and idea. And so when I think about what is transformation, I think about it in terms of a complete institutional knowledge, attitude, practice, structural shift and a structural change, which is probably why it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think w within that structural change, it also comes down to individual transformation, right? For a system to transform, you know, you've got thousands of individuals with their own. <laughs> I just got totally interrupted by what even? <laughs> I just, sorry, I just accidentally pushed a button. Um, but I think that it came at a right right moment it could have been this one <laughs> yeah all right i'll take the other one oh. <laughs> i'll take that one too reinforcing myself sure. indeed all right um oh gosh i totally lost my thought <laughs> um individual transformation yeah right. right so you know for us to get to a system or um, a structural transformation there are hundreds of people in an organization with maybe different attitudes different values different knowledge sets and then, you know, each person needs to you know, go on a journey to also transform for that to be a collective. So I think that there's a degree of transformation being individual and meeting the systematic or structural piece. And one of the things I, I hope we talk about is what it looks like when, if we're thinking about transformation, when we're thinking about people needing to transform within that, what happens if people don't want to? Ooh, <laughs> we have a button for that. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> it seemed a good time because <laughs> you know for us some of the work that we do is about looking at organizations and understanding how they work and understanding the people within it to the best that we can because we drop into pieces of work as consultants um for a month a couple of months best case scenario five or six months and so how do you help people along on a journey <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about 
attitude and behavior and things that need to change, particularly for people or by people who benefit from the system existing as it does. And I think that's the hardest bit. I'm thinking of a particular organization, wink, wink, where, <laughs> where, you know, people who are in charge of making decisions around transformation were the ones who were, you know, benefiting from the status quo. And so yeah. further, in some ways, entrenching views or what is that phrase that I really like? Holding ground. Mm-hmm. So in the space of transformation, thinking about things like backlash or thinking about things where you've got people who are just a bit digging their feet in or systems that just are built in such a way that they kind of dig in a little bit. Absolutely. It's almost like dialysis in a way, right? So if you've got beliefs, attitudes, practices, and, you know, our perspective is very much about embedding feminism, embedding anti-racist approaches. If you've got ideas that are entrenched within that, it's the heart of the organization is just pumping these attitudes throughout the veins of the organization, if we think about it as a body. Yeah. And then so a transformation really is about flushing a lot of that stuff out when I think about it in an analogy like that. I want to talk about what a transformation looks like in the context of not-for-profits that serve communities. People can't wait for you to overhaul your shit. (laughs) They can't wait. So what is the space for kind of incremental growth, gradual growth, gradual change? Or is that tokenistic virtue signaling? (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, I think perhaps we also need to nuance transformation. Like it's not one big thing that happens all at once, right? right? So there might be pockets of the organization that are transforming at a different speed to another Mm. and or people's interpretation of what transformation is might be different. So if a group thinks they're transforming in one way and another group is transforming in another way, you know, there are many different pathways or journeys you can take (laughs) to get to what transformation might be. So I do think there's a bit of a nuance in that that needs unpacking. And then also, are there different leadership styles to get to a transformative place, transformative (laughs) place? (laughs) You know, for example, um, so, you know, there are different leaders may have different ways of approaching it. How does an amalgamation of different transformative leadership styles come together. So I think we also just need to nuance all that as well. What happens though, when you've got an organization where pockets of transformation are are happening or taking place at different speeds? Because I agree that different functions of a business and not-for-profits are a business, come at me, they are. What do you do and how is that not, how is that different from dissent? And as a serial dissenter, I think that's fantastic. But then how do you get those viewpoints institutionalized if they're just in pockets? Because we see that a lot, right? We see organizations where you've got different teams who are doing like transformative work. They're on a completely different journey. Or you see it in international NGOs with federated or confederated structures where you may have some offices or country programs or affiliates or national organizations, whatever they're called, that are doing things in a completely different way from their counterparts in other regions, other countries, whatever. Is that okay? Is that enough? Or is it just that you've got these pockets of dissent that are not actually moving the bigger institutional machine forward? coherently. Yeah, it's a really good one. I I think, I mean, to what extent you can determine that pockets of dissent or change are influencing the entire organizational culture, 
I think is somewhere embedded in literature, I'm sure. <laughs> and, you know, from our experiences, I do think that those dissenting pieces are critical to taking the whole organization forward. So right now we're kind of sitting in, and I'm, you know, sure this has happened many years before, but we're sitting in a place where maybe those dissenters are kind of trying to drive older ways of thinking and they need to be there in order to kind of put that on the table. So I do think that they are in essential and I'm sure they've been there before in other charity spaces uh, sorry not charity spaces we're going to cut that out <laughs> <laughs> I mean in other years and previous decades where for example maybe the not-for-profit sector has bought in community-led development and everyone went whoa what the hell is this you know <laughs> yeah. um, so you know I'm certain that this is almost like a cycle or a cyclical nature of new things dissenters pushing it into organizational culture and but you know it, it depends on I suppose leadership uptake as well you've created a nice segue ready ready <laughs> Yeah, I'm certain that's too long. <laughs> we should get some feedback on that. Okay, let's try this as a transition. Better? Yeah, very good. Okay, I like that one. Um, so why do organizations need to transform is a question that I think people want to know. Why do people need to change? How is it different from you know, strategic planning? How is it different from just a generic evolution, not generic necessarily, but a general evolution that an organization might undergo? How is it different from any other change process? Over to you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, why? I mean, I'm obviously going to come at this on the not-for-profit sector. Like, why the hell do we need to transform? Um, and I mean, I think it's partly because, you know, while you're stewing about something in your organization, the world is also changing around you. Like, you know, um, COVID-19, Brexit, other key political factors in the UK and the world everything's continuing to change with or without you. So you either move with the times or you become irrelevant. <laughs> you know, at some point people are going to be like, okay, well, you're not really kind of meeting the needs of anybody or the way the world is changing. I think there's a big thing here around social consciousness. And I think, I think social consciousness and our um, appreciation for the experiences of other people has evolved over time. But I do think there's some big kind of key things that have emerged. I'm thinking specifically about the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm thinking about the ways in which that sort of catapulted a new vocabulary into the world on a more mainstream, on a kind of a global level. And so transformation for me happens, one, to what you're saying, that we're all looking at things in a different way. So if you're not looking at things in a different way, if your worldview as an organization is stuck 30 years ago in the way that you're delivering service, the way that you're implementing programming, the way you're doing your work hasn't evolved with that, you're exactly right, lumbering into irrelevance. And so the other piece that I think is 
important around transformation is when shit goes down. Expand. <laughs> what shit? <laughs> I think when your organization gets called out for stuff, gets called out very publicly. I'm thinking about the recent experiences of um, Oxfam. I'm thinking about some recent experiences with Amnesty International UK, um, both organizations that we know and that we have worked with. But I'm thinking about those as organizations, first and foremost, who got hit with some deep, dark shit, institutional negligence, um, institutionalized racism. There's an interesting report that's just come out, which we can kind of share in terms of that evolution and um, Amnesty International UK's response to it. And so I think that there's something really interesting when an organization gets hit with something really hard and that catapults them into transformation and into change. And of course, we don't think about transformation as the thing that happens overnight. It's not like, here we go, I want to transform. So I'm here and I'm now I'm over there. That's not what we're talking about. These are decades long because you're dealing with structural things. You're dealing with unconscious bias. You're dealing with things that are invisible to people. And in some cases, they are felt but not easily understood by others or they are and people are just ignoring it in some instances. Um, so I think I prefer, I don't know which one I prefer. I kind of think organizations need a big shakeup for them to do something different. What are your thoughts? No, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I suppose my initial response would be the expectations on the not-for-profit and charity sector. Why does it have to get to that point for you to say, oh, we need to transform? And I would be incredibly curious to know, had some of those shocking stories not come to light, where would Oxfam be now and where would Amnesty be now? And was that journey already kind of happening under the table? Or as you rightly say, was it that just shock factor, something major happened that then twisted them into catalyzing some of those changes? I think it's something about the dark surfacing to light. And I think you're right about where all, for the most part, you know, liberal do-gooders, which is problematic. In- <laughs> we'll cover that in another so, episode. Yeah, that, that is another episode, folks. Um, and I think that there is a kind of expectation or an assumption that we are all just there for like good people doing good things in the world and that we don't carry our own biases. We don't carry our own judgments. We don't carry our own bigotry and racism. And we know that's not true. And I wonder, I guess, if organizations need a big shakeup, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We know that stuff happens within organizations, which we'll talk about in our subscription episode. (laughs) But why don't more things come out about what's going on? If this is an opportunity to catalyze change, and if one of those components is like a big organizational shakeup, I wonder why we don't hear enough about these things. I mean, my initial response would be because the power structures disallow that kind of accountability, reporting, feedback to make it through the different layers of bureaucracy, I guess. I mean, there's a degree, you're absolutely right. We know certain things that happen, (laughs) levels of organizations, and yet they don't manifest into something that people think is perhaps bad or unusual or something that should be reported further up because a lot of it, I think, sadly, has become normalized ways of working. And it takes a lot of introspection and self-reflection to say, actually, this isn't the way we should be working. Actually, this is wrong. And is it going back to your dissent point that individuals notice it, but individuals are not able to speak up? 
and need a collective dissent in order to bring some of those to the fore. I accept that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, because I'm thinking about if people don't recognize it. So one of the things that we talk about in our work, you and I, is the value of introspection and self, you know, when people ask us, oh, you know, why were you interested in working with us? What about this thing was interesting to you? There's always, when there's a piece in it that has to do with an organization wanting to reflect, that's, those are the ones where I think they're most positioned to transform and to change and Mm -hmm. to evolve. Because I threw them out there now, I will, earlier, I'll I'll give them one now, which is Amnesty International UK. We did a piece of work for them. And a component of that was looking at the extent to which their work may be reinforcing systems of oppression. We said, you know, at the time, this is a really great piece of work because you're trying to understand something and you're inviting two external people to be very critical of that. And I think those spaces are the ones that are possible for people to grow and to change and to learn something. But I'm curious about the ones that can't, speaking to what you were saying before about the attitudes and blockages around transformation, then is transformation even possible if you've got a structure that, is it just the dissenting voices that are kind of doing what they can do in the space that they can, or is there just no hope for those? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by other ones? So organizations that aren't self-reflective, I guess. Oh, I see. Yeah. Is it then taking it to the next level? And let's say you have um, 10 organizations all in the same field, five of them, six of them are becoming self-reflective and taking the whole sector with them. And that leaves four organizations that are then competitively being left behind. Mm. So maybe then you take it up a notch and you have to competitively meet everyone else who's in your sector. Otherwise you don't get the funding or you don't meet your customers where they're at. So actually, I think it starts with the individual to the organization and then up to the sector. So evolve or die. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to, sorry, I want to go back to the kind of dissenting group in the organization, because I think that dissenting group could be either way. It it can be pro your transformation or against your transformation. And I think if we think of it like an iceberg, you've got a majority that are either one way or the other, and then you might probably like have a minority that is against that. And I I often think that it's that minority that the organization then just kind of neglect and put aside and say, okay, whatever, they'll deal with it. And they go with the majority when actually it's that minority that the entire organization needs to switch its focus back to and meet them where they're at, find a, a, a... I can't even speak. Find a... It's problematic because it's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or find a compromise and or go back to those people and find a way to bring them into the fold that meets their values. So I think the minority and working with them is where human resources, where leadership, where management needs to kind of situate itself in bringing them into the organisational fold. When we talk about transformation, we often talk about it as a change management process. And I don't think organizations think about it. They think, okay, well, we're going to put in safeguarding policy. We're going to put in this kind of policy. And then we're going to do a couple of webinars and we're going to throw a module on our learning platform. But it never gets really embedded as a change management process. Thinking, as you say, about how you bring everybody along on that journey. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's really long. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think organizations think about it that way. I think they think we're gonna like 
do what we can. We're going to move the areas that we can without realizing that transformation and change is a hearts and minds activity, right? Yeah. It's bringing people along, particularly if you're thinking about, you know, the world of work is, is, is going through an evolution, particularly millennials, Gen Z, we're all in the space of thinking about value and meaning in our work. And so if we're not being brought along on a journey, should I do another one? Yeah, quick. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) not the one. (laughs) If we're thinking about that and how we can keep people engaged and interested and passionate about what they're doing, then we need to bring everybody along on the journey. But the question I have is around compromise. Is there room for compromise in the space of talking about transformation toward inclusion and diversity and some of the more challenging ways in which organizations need to transform either because there's a groundswell within their organization or societally that dictates to a certain extent or they feel the pressure that they must is there space for compromise in in those kinds of environments or is it a like a olympic kind of situation <laughs> gosh that's a difficult one because i think as an organization, you also have a role and a responsibility to look after your staff, whatever their values, whatever their approaches to the workplace or whatever. So I think there's a degree, there's a couple of layers there that maybe contradict each other in terms of making sure people are satisfied with the work and happy, but also if they don't agree, how you kind of meet those two things together. Compromise. I think it depends on what it is like you rightly bring up diversity and inclusion and i think that there's just a lot of space for no compromise there i don't know what else to add to that (laughs) (laughs) i need to think for me i have a different view i think that an organization needs to set hard lines about what its values are and communicate that i think that it needs because we the assumption is that we work for the social good (laughs) we don't always assumption assumption. (laughs) we don't always get that right you know we try some of us are better or worse at trying in different areas than others, but I can, I feel like we're all trying. I think that our values need to be really clear and really upfront. And then I think as organizations, there needs to be principles, values at work. And by that, I mean that it's really easy for organizations to be like, these are our values. Here's our 10 values and here's our eight principles of working. But When you look for evidence of these principles and values at work, which is something that Lauren and I do, it's a little bit harder to see where they're really being lived and they're really being realized. And so it can be as simple as putting it in a statement, but really living and practicing values and principles is is harder. And I think that setting that expectation as an organization, these are principles and values. I'm not so certain that there's a lot of space to compromise in, in that. You know, assuming I'm uh, I'm kind of picturing in my mind an organization whose values are, you know, good, whatever we decide good as, um, but that the people who are living those values, moving those values along, communicating those values, they need to be there too. They need to be with them as well, in my mind. I don't know. You seem skeptical. No, I I agree. But then, you know, there's a voice in my head saying you've got six principles. What if someone agrees with three, but not the other three? What if someone is like, yeah, four of these I can get behind, but two I can't. And what about if you have volunteers and members and the wider public? Does everyone also have to align with your values, your partners, your beneficiaries, (laughs) your customers, 
you know, the extent to which that filters into other spaces and other interactions, I think is also an interesting one. And I'm, you know, going back to some things that we've uncovered or explored around when people's values situate themselves on one big case or like a very, you know, pro women's rights organizations, but then maybe against LGBTQ organizations, for example, like where do you situate that nuance in people's values? Yeah. Okay. I think when we're thinking about them internally, I think there needs to be internal alignment. If we extend that outward, I take a somewhat grayer view because I don't think as international organizations, we can be going and working with doing programming in different countries and say, these are our values, right? That's a really like colonial approach. These are our values. You have to fall in line with those values. I think as an organization internally, there needs to be a tone and a kind of consistency. And I'm not necessarily convinced. I I can't think of a time when I've worked with an organization as a consultant or as a member of staff where I've thought, well, yeah, I'm just, yeah, like two of these are okay. The rest, no, I think I've more been like, all of these are great. And I become like disillusioned when I see that they're not. (laughs) I think that's generally more my my feeling, Um, but that's just my view organizations should hold hard values up the chain. So with donors, for example, these are our values. These are uncompromising. This is the red line. But then when you're thinking about the people you interact with, I think you need to communicate clearly what it is that you're trying to do and the values that you hold, but that it's not about getting anybody else on side. It's about just communicating who you are and respecting and honoring other people's values because contextually, your values may be really different. Mm. So yeah, that that is my view. How do we get here? How did this all sit with transformation? <laughs> I mean, this is like episode two. <laughs> but also, I mean, I think you're right. Like, uh, you know, I've never come across myself included anything where people like I disagree with this one value and not these however the humanitarian principles are a good example of where there is disagreement right okay but I think also organizations are hiring staff in other places around the world you know Nairobi for example Bangkok wherever um who are part of a broader headquarters if you like right and the extent to which they also may have different values I think is yet to be uncovered in some ways. I think that's a really good example of a transformative change because we've historically had our headquarters in the global north. Should we say something else other than the global north? That's what everybody calls it. I know it's global north, global south, but I just still am not entirely sure I'm convinced. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do you on that. <laughs> Episode three. <laughs> um, okay. Well, send in your ideas of what we. <laughs> what else should we be calling it? Well, because it's changed, hasn't it? It was like peripheral, semi-peripheral was one. Oh, I've not heard that one. Hey, nice. masters in international diplomacy. <laughs> um, and then there was first and third. Oh, that was terrible. that's a horrible. Yeah, that was horrible. That was way back. Um, global North, global South, with the assumption that poverty only exists in the global South and that wealth only exists in the global North. Yeah. There is some truth to that, but I, I, truth to that, but I'm, one doesn't necessarily equal the other. So as a principle, I don't like it. Maybe we should just say, should we do a poll? The countries or. Is this a Bodie McBoat face? Oh my God. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) Such an interesting poll. I want to know what people think we should be saying. Okay. Right. So we're going to do that. We're going to, if you don't know, Bodie McBoat face was a poll 
in the UK where people got to name a boat and the name of the boat that won the most votes was Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> and has been referenced ever since. <laughs> Indeed. I love it. I think it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, I think this transition to headquarters is a good, this transition around where headquarters are located is a good kind of early indication of the, like you're priming the space for transformation because you're starting to look around you, which I think is maybe the first piece is your awareness. The aperture has widened. You're looking around, your your ears are open. And so you're thinking about things in a slightly different way. Now, I do have a problem with the fact that I'm thinking about a couple of different organizations who said, we're going to put our headquarters in somewhere that is not a wealthy country. Uh, and we're just going to like ship all of our white people there to run that headquarters. <laughs> not naming any names. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> and also maintain the English language as a... If we give them a little bit of space to be on this longer journey, because, you know, I don't think either of us really wants to like drag anybody for trying to change or trying to evolve. That's not the point. We are poking a little bit of fun, but poking, poking, not dragging, poking, not dragging. <laughs> Important clarification. Yeah. I think that's a good indication of just thinking about how an organization can be different and change and, and why. Yeah, um, I just want to add something else, um, yes. just maybe that's relevant to transformation, but... I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start talking about van design. Good looking van. It is a great van. Um, so I think one thing I also want to say about transformation is, as someone who's also in the data sector or whatever, <laughs> the monitoring and evaluation um, sector area of work... Um, Are you creating your own sector? I'm creating my own sector. <laughs> Hi, all you m and &E people. Um, um, like, yeah, I'm happy for that shout out because all the m and &E people are really good followers on that. <laughs> Great. I will follow. Um, so I think transformational change has been present in how we measure change for some time. And I just want to make a, a slight distinction and that I think sometimes when we're talking about transformation, we're thinking about transformational change, which might be changes in the people that we're working with or the changes in our beneficiaries or communities or partners we work with that are at a systematic level. So, for example, maybe a government brings in a big transformational policy that changes the way people treat a certain group of people, for example. So I just kind of want to make a small distinction there that transformational change is also something that people measure impact by and the scale of change. Um, and I think as a journey to transformation, achieving the outcomes in the not-for-profit sector or achieving big impact is also potentially a part of this journey to transformation. Um, and also just to reflect slightly on what you said earlier about holding ground, that sometimes maybe transformation is not that beautiful butterfly at the end, but it's actually stopping something worse from happening or stopping something going in a completely different direction that could be very negative for example. So maybe also just nuancing that a little bit too. Okay. <laughs> no, I was thinking about the idea of people thinking that when they get to, I guess first for me, I don't think that transformation is the goal. Mm. It's the journey. No, I keep getting the wrong button. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait. There we go. Really, it's part of an evolution, right? It's an ever-changing kind of... You have to keep changing and moving as things go along. And I'm just thinking about the conversations we've had with clients who think that they're going to transform and then that then it's done. And that at the end, they're this beautiful butterfly. It's not like that. And I imagine that if I was a caterpillar, like the process of chrysalis and all of that stuff seems very chaotic. Um, <laughs> who knows what goes on inside there? <laughs> I don't know what's happening in there, but it seems hectic. And I think that that's okay. I think that there's a real issue with organizations feeling the pressure that to transform, especially on like hard shit, like hard, hard stuff that they're going to be like, cool, we'll just do a few things. We'll be introspective. We'll do all the stuff. And then we're going to be here and it's going to be amazing. And everybody's going to be happy. It's like dirty, hard, tear filled stuff. And so for organizations who are thinking like that, I would say with whatever authority you assign to me, (laughs) that it's messy. It's really, really messy. Having watched organizations through change processes, having facilitated transformational processes for organizations, it's really messy. It's hard. It's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of understanding people. It's a lot of the kind of skills around communication and clarity and accountability that are really, really hard things to do and manage. Um, because people also have other things running alongside their professional lives, their personal lives. It's really, really hard. And I have a lot of sympathy for organizations. Is it sympathy or empathy? I always get them mixed up. I have no idea. Okay. We'll Um, look that one up. We'll look it up. I feel for organizations who are going through this process because it's, you know, it can involve really practical things, logistical things like a restructure. It can involve things that might mean people's jobs are gone. So, you know, relocating, for example, one, um, your head office into a completely different country, that might mean some of your staff aren't able to go along on that journey, which is in some cases a, is a good thing. In some cases it can be a bad one. But in the example they gave before of just importing <laughs> a bunch of white people um, into senior management positions, that's not great. Yeah. But it can mean that people lose their jobs and it can mean that there's a lot of hardship. And it's, you know, it's not going to be any easier because I s- said I recognize that it's challenging. It's just going to be really challenging and really shitty for a lot of people. And it's about understanding where you sit and where your organization sits in terms of, you know, the bigger piece that you're trying to achieve and where you want to be. Who do you want to be at as you go along on this journey? And are you constantly working toward that organization, toward that person, toward that mission, toward that vision? Yeah. Um, it's hard. Absolutely. And I have to wonder if, and I can't verify this, I have to wonder if there's a degree of obsession with perception, like in terms of like, if people are looking outwards at you and they see this mess, you know, the government, the public, your partners, you know, maybe they'll be like, oh my God, what is going on? So maybe there's an obsession with, you know, perceiving or putting out there a sense of we've still got it. We still look like we're put together. And and this, yeah, obsession with having people think that you're not like losing control, that you do have things under control, that the government still wants to give you funding because you've still got a good apparatus in place, despite the messiness happening around it. So I have to wonder if there's a slight kind of I don't know if obsession is the right word, but stronger consideration for how we're perceived whilst going through a transformational process. 
process. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a great point because organizations are brands. It's true. Come at me. (laughs) Breaking my heart. They're brands. They're brands. They've got logos. You're a brand. You know, what's the space for organizations to confront their own failures? If you, if I'm giving you as an organization public money to go off into the world and do your good deeds, then the expectation would be that with that, keep it together. And so I think that there's a real issue with that kind of environment, because the good thing is to transform and to evolve. That's the right thing to be doing. The right thing to do isn't to save face and maintain the status quo, particularly when you see it's not working for your staff, for the context that you're operating in, for the greater society that's around you. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that you help anybody. Coming back to the beginning when I was talking about, you know, if you're implementing programming, do your beneficiaries or do the people who should be benefiting from the work that you're doing, do they have time for you to like get your act together? Probably not. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe that it's about just being very clear about what's about to happen. You know, rarely do I see kind of, I mean, I, probably haven't been looking for it, let's be fair. But, you know, an organization that says, look, we've, you know, we're about to go through all these changes. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's a public document that kind of says, you know, here's what's about to happen. It might look a bit like this, but we're still working in this way in the background. Perhaps just a bit more transparency about what's about to take place. It's like when businesses go on holiday. Oh, did businesses go on holiday? Well, some of them do. For example, I had to get, I had to do a tech support thing and they were like, sorry, we're operating with the skeleton staff at the moment. And so bear with us. We are working on it. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But I mean, I don't think rights holders would like (laughs) charities to go on holiday. Although COVID-19 was a bit like an international white person holiday for you know, anyone needing to go to the field <laughs> and I'm using quotation you can't see marks. Her, <laughs> <laughs> because that's also a phrase that we need to put in the bin. Indeed. There's a lot of phrases that I would like to bin and we're going to have a game called bin this phrase. Excellent. I just came up with that. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> we can have people vote on <laughs> what phrases to bin. Yeah, I've got loads that I want to get rid of. Um, okay, so that's... Right. So we've covered what transformation is from our unique perspective, why organizations need to change or circumstances which could catalyze change. And then some of the pain points around change. Should we end on like a good thing? Like what what you get? What you get at the end? (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Um, What do you get at the end? Why do we know? I think that's kind of the point, right? Is that you don't know, but you know that you're moving in a direction that's aligned to society in a more productive way. I don't know. But then why are we going there if we don't know? I I mean... I hate you right now. Don't ask questions. (laughs) I mean, as someone who likes to have evidence to prove that this is working or not, I mean, why are we even going there if we don't know what we're going to get at the end? What are we basing our direction on i think that it's but maybe is that it is that it's a kind of journey that you can't be in the same you know because there is no end right if your map's upside down 
my map. <laughs> yeah, on your journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think that you're just sort of going along, knowing that you can't stay where you are. And that's a kind of fundamental starting point in a change management process or transformational change process is that I can't stay. My current state is untenable. So I need to do something different. I think you can extract data points, analyze data points that you have. So how do the people feel who work with you and for you and alongside you? How do people feel about the services you deliver? How do people feel about the money they give you? Like, I think there's data points for us to understand why the position that we're in is maybe untenable or unsustainable. But I think that probably that's it, right? Is that you maybe don't necessarily know where you're going. You just know that you can't stay there. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point to end on. You know, you have to change. You've got some data evidence that says this isn't working and you get your boat and sail off and see where you end up. Okay. I like it. Should we sign off there? Yeah. Great. I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. And this was the Journey to Transformation. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.